Hello, Dave. Hello, Ollie. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. Welcome to Sustainable 32. Welcome to Sustainable, your friendly little environment podcast, all about why everything to do with politics, people, and the planet is very confusing and prattly, and why can't people talk sense? What have we got coming up this week? Oh, well, Dave, we have got cue accordion music, a French theme. Sacre bleu, sacre bleu, sacre bleu. Qu'est-ce que tu la vache? A cow? What? I don't know, I don't speak French. Anyway, let's move on. The French theme is thus. We are going to talk about Heathrow, from where you can fly to France. Mm. Huh? We're, going to talk, we're going to talk about Richard Littlejohn, uh, who, who doesn't like France or, or what's going on in France. We are going to talk about the Paris Climate Talks. We're going to talk about French lions. And we're going to talk about Amber Rudd, who is the Energy Secretary in England, who only likes French nuclear power. So I think you'll find that is an entirely coherent package of topics, what we are going to bang on about, OK? OK, artfully stitched together. Just as usual to say that although we do work for environmental charities, this blether, what you are about to be blethered by, is very much our own blether and not the blether of anyone else. So if you have any problems with our blether, blether it at us and don't go blethering to anyone else. Yes? Blether away! Sustainable of the week. So, Sustainababble of the Week. This is a section every week where we have a look at the prattle, the nonsense, the whiff-waff that is spoken in the name of going green, usually by governments or, you know, institutions. But this time, it's everybody's favourite sustainable airport, Heathrow. Ah, uh, that's what I think, you know, when I... So it's just down the road. I'm just in West London today, just down there. You might even hear some planes going overhead at some point. And whenever I think about Mahusiv Great Heathrow with, you know, one of Europe's largest airports, one of the world's largest airports with trillions and billions and billions and trillions of aeroplanes, you know what I think? Sustainable. Mm. That's what I think. I mm. think leaders in green. That's definitely <laughs> what I think. Um, but that's what they think because they bunged out a press release about it. They bunged out a press release because... They- they have been recognised as an industry sustainability leader. Industry, Ooh. what, the aviation industry? Well, yeah, I guess so. Because, so. you know, they're not a sustainability leader in general. Well, ED's Sustainability Leaders Awards this year have recognised Heathrow for their leading investments in energy f- efficiency. Uh, and in fact, that earned it the energy management title at those awards. So, you know, I think we, all we have to say at this point is well done, Heathrow. Well done, well done, yeah. well done, yeah. Heathrow. Jolly good. Yeah, so what they've done is, so, you know, okay, haha, very funny, airports aren't sustainable, blah, blah, blah. What this is actually talking about isn't the planes which are causing climate change. We're forgetting about them just for now. And instead, we're what looking at. I don't there see are no any planes. planes. There are no planes. No, 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 no plane. No. 
we're looking at the buildings and you know how the, all the way the buildings work and it says here that they spent 20 million pounds to make that those buildings and stuff work greener like led lamps and energy saving and a biomass energy plant and all that kind of stuff yeah um which and is actually, fair enough yes yeah it's, and and to be vaguely serious for a moment it does actually seem like they've done quite a lot of stuff in this particular area, I mean, the, the stuff they've done with their biomass boiler um, is 75% of the wood, I think, is coming from within 50 miles of the airport, which is quite impressive, really. I mean, and they've got all their LED lights in, as you said, and that's reducing oh, kind up. of gigawatt. Oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> There's nothing. This is, this is it like is good. It is good. No, it's no, better. It's, if they're no, going to have a building which in which you sit around waiting for your flights, better for that building to be, you know, quite energy efficient than just belching out CO2, isn't it? No, this is like yes, saying, is. this is like this is like a butcher having a, a, a chamois leather belt upon which he cleans his butcher's knife, and that chamois leather belt is made from the, the happiest, most frolicking cows in the whole of the pasture, and that butcher claiming that he is a leader in animal welfare, right? <laughs> yeah. And just listen to what um, Elizabeth Hegarty, who is the head of environment at Heathrow Airport, has said. Finding ways to use energy responsibly and efficiently is how we do business as Britain's busiest airport. Thank you, Arabella, for that announcement. Arabella being your six-year-old niece, of course. So, yes, that's what they say, that they do as Britain's busiest airport, i.e. one of the places in Britain that single-handedly is responsible for the most carbon dioxide emissions. Finding ways to use energy responsibly and efficiently is how we do business. Give me a break. <laughs> it does remind me a little bit of, uh, and this is a thing we were talking about earlier, that fantastic tweet by the comedian Frankie Boyle. Who <laughs> the, one, in, the one we still can't quote in full. Yeah, even yeah. on our own fairly lightly censored podcast, we have yeah. to censor ourselves. But but he was calling out Richard Branson, who was making certain claims towards his sustainability. And the, 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 the gist of his tweet was, well, yeah, but you own an airline. And it's like, that's kind that of was, what's going on here, isn't yeah, it? There were some more words in it than that. Yeah, so <laughs> was, I think you referred was. to it as fairly robust Anglo-Saxon. Inhoff of the week. So, Inhoff Corner, it is the place where we put the bad people. Mr. Inhoff, Jim Inhoff, is a senator in the United States and he's an idiot because he thinks climate change isn't real due to the fact there's still snow. There are other people like him, and this week we have got a chap called Richard Littlejohn, who, for those oh. of you unfamiliar... <laughs> Holy uh, moly. <laughs> ...is a columnist in the UK. And as far as I can tell, uh, his job is to mainly get people so worked up uh, that they have heart attacks or something. He, he's he's the ultimate troll. He's the nastiest piece of work. He even said that he actually wants to see more cyclists on the road, which, given his form of anti-cyclist writing, is a bit surprising. But then his logic was, because hopefully they'll die and we can use their organs for other people. It's, it's pretty amazing what he will stoop to. Yeah, and a couple of weeks ago he said that uh, all environmentalists smell. Um, which, you know, some of them smell. I can definitely yeah. definitely vouch for that. But all of them, no, there are some very, very nice smelling environmentalists. You smell quite nice. Thanks, mate. And yeah, um, right. you know, some are entirely odour free. 
so you could say you that I smell nice if you like. Sure, I could, yeah. You're right. Anyway, what's he said? Oh, God. Well, what's the whole terrible, terrible issue of what's been happening um, in France and Beirut and Baghdad and Mali uh, and all sorts of places over the world in the last week or so um, demands a fairly sensitive approach if you're going to write about it or indeed talk about it. Uh, Richard Littlejohn doesn't doesn't really see it that way and he's used it as an opportunity to have a massive pop at the fact that anybody in the world is getting together to talk about climate change. Now, as many of you will know, what is also happening in Paris in the next week or so are these big, grand, international, UN-backed climate talks. And he's, well, this is what he said. I mean, you can't paraphrase this guy. All you need to know, little John espouses, is that before the first shots were fired on Friday, world leaders were preparing to attend a grandiose summit, not to coordinate plans to fight terrorism, but to address what they claimed was the greatest threat to mankind, non-existent global warming. (sighs) Where do you start with this douchebag? Yes, and I think the best thing to do with Richard Littlejohn, because he is a troll, is not to feed him. And instead, let's talk a bit more about what is going on with these Paris talks. Yes, I think that's a very good idea, Dave. Well done. Well, um, luckily, uh, we've already had a go at talking about them. Um, and for those of you who missed it, we're now going to play a little bit of the clip of very exciting appearance we had on the Weekly Economics podcast, which is a podcast done by our friends at the New Economics Foundation on which you really genuinely learn about stuff. So I do implore you to uh, to subscribe to that podcast in general. But here's a little clip of us prattling on about the Paris Climate Talks. So moving on to the international stage, there's a big UN conference coming up about climate change called COP21, uh, starting at the end of the month in Paris. What's going to be going on there? Well, there'll be a lot of Red Bull uh, towards the end of the, the, the well, you always get two weeks of like civilized talks, and they're always like, "Yeah, we're going to finish on Saturday," and then on Saturday they start the actual talks, and it goes kind of way through the night. Lots of Red Bull people who haven't slept for three days making terrible decisions about the most important thing um, in the planet. That is really how people hiding in cupboards so that they don't get chucked out of rooms. It all gets absolutely bizarre who, 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 which people who are these people well usually campaigners in fairness because <laughs> they by that stage the, the negotiators will have got cross and tried to eject them but it's a very important it is a very important conference um, and essentially they're looking to, to get to a stage where there is a legally binding deal on where the global community is going to go with emissions we are going to are we or are we not going to try and keep below this magic two degrees of warming threshold um, and that's what you know they're going to kind of try and thrash out. Okay, so what are the UK government going to be saying at those talks, given what we've uh, just talked about, uh, about what they're actually doing around the economics of energy uh, policies at home? Well, they're going to be talking tough. So just last week, uh, the Indian government and the UK government signed an agreement on climate change, which had contained the word uncompromising. So we have an uncompromising commitment, said David Cameron, who's just overseeing the wholesale destruction of the wind and solar industry in the UK, an uncompromising commitment to... uh, Uh, acting on climate change. Um, 
And in general, the international rhetoric coming out of this government is pretty strong. Like, you, you know, they will always say a deal in Paris is essential. We think international action is important. We are committed to two degrees. And that's the reason that they excuse their relative inaction in the UK or what's been going on is they say, look, what we really need to do about climate change is get the USA and the EU and China and India and a few other people to pledge the right sort of action. And let's get that. And the more global agreement you have, the less risk there is of impacting your domestic economy from doing stuff first and foremost. The Chancellor's on record as saying we're, we're not going to save the planet by putting the UK out of business. That's the general mindset. So I think you'll hear some really tough talk. What it actually results in, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Okay. The, uh, the mechanism that they're, they're using is a slightly weird one as well. So in, in previous iterations of these talks, your starting point has been, right, what does the science say is necessary in terms of um, the level of, of warming we're going to allow? And then you work backwards from that to say, right, well, what's each country's fair share of, of emissions reduction in terms of meeting that target? And then, and what's their ability to meet, you know, how much money have they got? What's their historical responsibility? And you work it all backwards and you say, right, UK, you've got to do this and it's legally binding. That whole approach has been totally torn up and you now work from the bottom. So you've got these things called INDCs, which are intended nationally determined contributions. And it's, so in layman's terms, it's, Okay, you as a country, say what you intend to do on emissions in your own borders um, and we'll all do that and we'll chuck it all into one pot, add it up and see where we've got. And hopefully that will be somewhere near two degrees. But it isn't. But it isn't. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's a very, very strange way of addressing the most pressing kind of problem of our time, arguably. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, so you kind of, I know that there's been hope around different cops and it's been sadness afterwards. Um, are you hoping for a legally binding target this time based on this new wacky measure? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I, 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 hope is a horrible, hope, horrible uh, thing, isn't hope, it? Oh. <laughs> no one ever got anywhere by hoping for anything. <laughs> I think two things are going to happen, right? Firstly, I think that it's going to be a bit of a rubbish outcome. Uh, so we aren't going to come out of it and go, woohoo, it was fantastic. And the critical thing, the important thing with that, Copenhagen uh, six years ago was the last big one of these mahusive climate shindigs that we had. And everything was pointed at it. Everyone was told, this is the talk. This is the moment. This is what we, you know, we must sort it out here. And when we didn't, there was a sort of audible deflation of energy. And it took ages to get that back in the movement. And then, you know, it, it, people talking about the environment and in politics. And, and it is back now. And the real key is to say, look, we already know know that Paris isn't going to do everything we need it to do. It's hopefully going to be a big step in the right direction. There'll be a deal of some sort to some sort of level of commitment that may or may not be right. All right. But the next thing is to take that energy and say, OK, it's January. What's happening now? What's happening in February? Tap into that what's happening with the divestment movement, all of the energy going on in climate at the moment and keep it going. Don't see this as where it stops, but where it starts. OK, so what can we, the people, do about this at, at COP and, and beyond? Well, I think what, building what Dave was just saying, the really exciting stuff is what's happening outside of the kind of forum of, the, of these official talks. So these growing movements to effectively keep it in the ground. And we've just seen uh, last week this amazing announcement in America where the Keystone XL pipeline uh, has been turned down by the, by the president. And uh, that was described, we were talking to, or Dave rather was talking to um, an American climate campaigner about it, who's been working on it for seven years. And he said it was totally inevitable 
that was never going to be stopped, this thing, but through a huge kind of grassroots mobilisation of uh, affected people up and down the, the, right, the, the, the route of the pipeline and kind of international efforts as well, it's actually been stopped. And that's the, the, the stuff where people getting involved is really beginning to make a difference. Divestment in the UK is really taking off the university movement, um, people getting their pensions out of fossil fuels or the rest of it. So in a sense doing this it's more old school in a way it's, it's getting involved in very sort of um simple direct movements uh, to stop the bad stuff happening where you live and, and in communities that you care about rather than relying too much on our leaders and men in suits basically to sort it out Thanks again to the Weekly Economics Podcast for having us on. And we are going to be interviewing uh, the host of the Weekly Economics Podcast, Kirsty Stiles, who is in her day job a mahusive expert on technology. And we're going to be interviewing her in the next wee while and have a special babble feature with her. That's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it's well exciting. She knows Indeed. stuff as well. I love I love it when we interview people because we interview people who know stuff and we kind of <laughs> <we're> like, <laughs> oh, right. Oh, oh that's oh, how it right. works. Oh, facts. Oh, <laughs> proof. But one thing we should mention is this very, well, I think, very depressing development, which is that because of the horrific attacks in Paris, the security services there have said that there can't be any protests around the the climate talks themselves. Now, there were massive, massive plans for huge numbers of of people from all over the world to come together and and peacefully protest and really put pressure on on those negotiators. Um, And they've been shelved. uh, And they've they've said for security reasons, you can't come, which personally, I think is a mistake anyway. I, I don't see how you know, in security terms, the threat is any greater now than it was before the attacks happened in, in Paris. I'd imagine it was always quite a big risk. And so if they're... Mm, if but it, the police are going to be really stretched, aren't they? I mean, I think it's really difficult to sort of, from afar, say whether or not uh, French security services are doing the right thing or not. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, basically. Uh, but I, the, the, it, it's difficult. And, and the, you know, I think that the idea is now that a lot of the demonstrations that were going to happen will still happen, um, but either they won't happen actually in Paris or they will happen in Paris, but in a more kind of, you know, contained, indoor sort of way than just going through the going through the streets. But Naomi Klein, um, famous left-wing firebrand, and uh, I'd like to say friend of the babble, but I don't think she know we ex- knows we exist. Unfortunately, we'll um, call her a friend of the babble until yeah, she corrects us. She's a friend of the babble. Other people are also friends of the babble. Therefore, are Keith Chegwin, the Chuckle Brothers, um, and, and <laughs> did that you girl. see the picture of the Chuckle Brothers? <laughs> no. Oh wow! I I love the fact that you don't know what this is. There is a picture circulating. Oh, I've seen this picture. Yes, of the yes, Chuckle Brothers, <laughs> who are hugging somebody, and there is an unfortunate arrangement of arm and hair that makes something look very different to what it actually is. Give me, 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 give me,
it? Anyway, before we got diverted onto the Chuckle Brothers, I was talking about Naomi Klein, whose point was that uh, the bit around the edges of the actual conference talk itself. So you've got all your diplomats being diplomaty in a room for, for however long it is. But the, all the stuff around it, the ability of people to protest, to come together, to demand change on behalf of the people who aren't in that room, you know, all the poor people whose country is getting messed up. That's just as important. That's just as much a part of the, you know, the, the, what we're doing on climate change and what we're there for in the first place. Yeah. And she says provocatively, and it's up to her to say it, I guess, that if Paris didn't think it could allow that bit of it because of what's happened, it should have given the talks to someone else that a climate talk without the ability to protest around it isn't a proper climate talk. So these talks are going on, uh, they start next weekend, they'll be going on for a week and a half after that. They're going to go on for a while, so I imagine that we shall be talking about them for the next few weeks, on and off, on this here podcast. And one thing that we are going to try to do, because we are sustainable experts, is we're going to be pointing out all various bits of egregious eco-guff that undoubtedly are going to flow out of these talks. Because if there's one place you want to go to find some language that doesn't make any sense, it's going to be the diplomacy around the international climate talks just about to kick off in Paris. So uh, let us know your favourite bits. If you get bits uh, read out or you hear about things that you simply don't understand what it is, if you want us to play the sexy ratchet mechanism music to explain what a ratchet (laughs) mechanism is, uh, and hang on, here's a little tease. That's the sexy ratchet mechanism music. Oh, yeah. Let us know. Hello, I'm Chris Packham, and you're listening to Sustain a Babble. Prediction time. So, prediction time. Uh, this is the section every week uh, where we whap our crystal balls onto the table and gaze lovingly into them to try to work out what's going to happen in the next week. And Dave doesn't like this section because he keeps getting things wrong. Although, <laughs> breaking news, listeners. Yes. After a long-running, possibly the longest ever-running prediction, we have some excellent, excellent news for Dave. Yes, we do. So I'm going to go right back into the Babble archives, have a little fisk around mm. in the bottom. That's when we used see- to record it on uh, a, a cup and a piece of string, wasn't it? And <laughs> That's right. we would plan it on slate. And go back to the edition from the middle of October, in which I predicted this. Amber Rudd, who is at least in principle the Secretary of State for Energy and Climate Change, even though George Osborne is the one who yanks her chains, she's going to do a speech. When she makes this speech, which may or may not happen this week, but it's going to happen very soon, there won't actually be anything in there that we hadn't previously either known was coming or wasn't previously government policy. How about that? So the speech actually happened, didn't it? It happened. That was exciting. Oh, wow, it was exciting. They they did a very, very good job. They trailed it in the newspapers at the weekend. Then they announced that it was going to be televised. Then they realised that only three and a half people were actually going to watch it. So they didn't televise it. And, um, and then they got all of the headlines that they wanted, uh, which was about coal, mainly. But l- let's not focus on Amber Rudd and the fairly important policy announcement she made in that speech. Let's focus on the fact that Dave for once, has got a prediction right, and that does bring it to now 4-3. 4-4-2, actually. I hate to talk myself out of a point. but Because um, oh, I, well, I, I claimed a win for Osborne being burned on a bonfire. Oh, yeah, of course you did. Yeah. Which was nonsense. 
yeah. Um, so four two. Except you see, and mm, ah, oh. So what I said was not that there would be a speech. You wouldn't really let me have that, but that the speech would contain nothing in it that was new. Ah, now, did, yeah. That is. I don't like talking myself out of a point. But one thing that can't be said about this speech is that there was nothing in it that was new. There was new stuff in there, all right. There was new stuff in there. The new stuff was. That the UK, the country which kickstarted the industrial revolution with coal in whenever the past,、uh, is going to be the first country to formally phase out the use of coal for generating electricity on the grounds that it's very dirty and smelly and bad for air pollution and bad for the polar bears.、Um, And they said that by 2025, 10 years time, we will not be using any coal in our electricity powering system, as I believe they call it. So that is <laughs> new. What they call it. That, that is that is a new development. There、uh, are, you know, there are、uh, interesting things. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, what, hang on, what, hang on. What, hang on. We, so it's not new, is it? Because we talked about this. We've talked about this on the babble、um, because everyone knew they were going to announce that because it was mysteriously leaked about a month or so ago. Yes. Well, they yeah they've been trailing it for a while, sort of, but they never. Well, it wasn't clear they were actually going to announce it, and the, and the fact is that whether or not by that stage their own projections、uh, in in boring documents showed that coal was going to make up very 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 small amount of our electricity system、um, is not really the point because coming out and saying right. That's it. No more coal is significant. It's symbolic. It sends quite a signal to other countries, and it certainly sends a signal to the coal industry. Well, so I think it's new. So there was hardly going to be any coal around by twenty twenty five. Anyway, wasn't it like one、yeah. percent? They reckoned. Yeah. Of, right. So that's like saying in ten years from now, a thing that is basically not going to be around anyway, we are going to stop. It's like me saying ten years from now,、uh, I'm going to spend a lot less time brushing my hair. Right. Like, yeah. So what? It's not going to. You know, by then these things are not going to be particularly. Well, you might、relevant. be brushing your hair singular. Your, yes, your one remaining hair <laughs> in the middle of Shearer's Island at the、yeah. front there. And what Amber Rudd said is, "Oh, hang on, we're only going to shut down all these coal plants in 2025 if we can replace coal, a fossil fuel, with gas, which is another fossil fuel." Yeah.、Um, so actually, here's what we thought was the case based on the leaks: that by 2023, all the coal plants would be shut unequivocally, unless you could abate them. Go back to episode 26 for more on that. Right. But now, what is the case is they might all be shut by 2025, but only if we've got other fossil fuels ready to take the strain. That's new and it's depressing, and I don't think it's all that exciting. Soz. So, did you lose or win that prediction? I'm really confused now.、Um, can I have a point anyway? But can I also say that I lost? No,、uh, no, no, you can't. And while we're on this speech,、um, Amber Rudd was in Inhofe Corner last week, and、um, I had a good mind to put a keeper there, basically. But luckily, Little John just turned out to be such a dick; he had to go in there instead. But in this speech, she went to great lengths to say basically how we need to incentivise new gas to be built. The whole thing was a big fluff to the gas industry, saying, "Come on, we need gas." And you know, clearly, you need subsidies and support to make this stuff happen to get it built. 
And it's just a bit rich, you know, after a, after a summer and autumn of them banging on about how renewables have got to stand on their own two feet, no subsidies for renewables. And then they just nakedly come out and say, but gas, no, we need gas. So, you know, subsidies and, and incentives and tax breaks, you know, that's all fine. And it, it's really Orwellian, you know, some subsidies are more equal than others. And it's just, oh, yeah. God, ugh. Yeah, well, look, right, that's spot on, isn't it? And the thing that annoyed me the most profoundly of all of the things in this speech that annoyed me, which was pretty much all of them, was the stuff about nuclear, right? So running through this speech like a stick of rock was her saying that uh, she wanted to move to a subsidy-free universe, basically, in which like renewable energies won't get subsidy anymore, have to stand in their own two feet, and probably have to be hit with extra costs to cope with the fact that they are intermittent. And that they're not intermittent. They're not intermittent. They're variable. Oh, oh, now this is this sounds like oh, babble, God. but that's true. <laughs> Because, oh, God. No, here we go. Hear me out. Hear me out. No, because oh, I've got, no. got to bear my bonnet about this. I know. Yeah? So, you, you know weather forecasts, right? You can see when it's going to be sunny, and you can see when it's going to be windy. And so you can plan for when wind turbines aren't going to spin round and when solar panels aren't going to generate much power, right? So they are variable. Now, fossil fuels, they're intermittent. The reason that the whole national grid got a bit, oh, God, we're going to have to you know, put the lights out a few weeks ago is because a couple of big, nasty coal plants suddenly went, oh, hang on. Oh, one of the plugs has fallen out. We've got to to take the whole thing offline. Sorry. I feel sick. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's intermittent, you know, because you're you're planning for this thing to be belching out Yeah, sorry about this, listener. He wouldn't "Ah, shut up. Um, He banged on and on and on and on and on and on and on. So here's some nice music. And I'll finish my point, which was to say that she doesn't seem to think the same things about nuclear, which she quite proudly talks about as being very important and which is going to get Mahusa subsidies all the way until 2061 when Arabella will be in her 50s and I will be 7,000 years old. Enjoy. So that was Dave's uh, decades-long prediction, but we also have a prediction to look back on from last week, which is when I said this. Is that the ongoing and frankly devastating fires in Indonesia, which is something we shouldn't have, uh, we haven't talked about, but should have talked about at some point in the next week. Somebody will say it has uh, been responsible for more emissions than America. You said specifically the same emissions as America. Has that happened? Um, well, there isn't evidence that it's happened. Or at least no one's written it down on the internet that I can see. But I <laughs> right. think it probably has happened. So, yeah? No. No, you're not having that Maybe The emissions of America is a lot. And you're not having just based on some basic, well, just based on some, some Dr. Tizer style, <laughs> um, you know, making your own calculations up stuff you're not having that so uh my turn to predict again then and this week is going to be a thing called the comprehensive spending review and the autumn statement which is when your man chancellor of the exchequer george osborne previous occupant of inhof corner 
will stand up and announce how much money he's not going to spend on stuff. Um, and there are going to be two major, my prediction is this, there are going to be two major, major casualties of his great big cuts, right? We already know, this is not a prediction, that the Department for Energy and Climate Change, DEC, is going to get 21% cuts, I think. Yeah, that's and right. The Environment Department is going to get, what is it, 32%? Oh, God, they just rolled over like they did last time. In 2010, when this happened, they just, Osborne went, right, everyone, going to need some cuts. Now, I know this is going to be hard for you, and they'd already put their hand up going, yeah, take ours. Yeah, 40% is fine. And they've done it again. They've just just rolled over. Have our flood defences. Take them. Take take our flood (laughs) defences. Don't need them. No, 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 that. No, 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 no. No, that's just just wood holding water up. Don't need that. Take that away. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. But my specific prediction is that in the Comprehensive Spending Review and Autumn Statement, snuck away in the small print is going to be the ending of anything to do with insulating homes. Uh, so stopping uh, heat leaking out of the walls of homes and stuff. We've had policies for years and years and years and years and years to try to do this properly. And they've gradually over the last six months become casualties of all the cuts and all of the rowing back on the green agenda. And I think we will see, we will know by this time next week that actually there is nothing now. That's it. There really isn't anything that is designed to help people insulate their homes. That's what I think is going to happen. Reasons to be cheerful. So, reasons to be cheerful. My goodness me, we need some reasons for cheer. What with everything horrible that's going on in the world. And, um, well, keen listeners will remember that there is a theme to this week's show, and that theme is France. And, well, the French are going to ban lions being what? brought in. <laughs> ban lions. <laughs> I, I was trying to think of a, of a sort of clever way to say it, but there isn't really. They are saying... We should have made this the main feature. Oh, main. Very nice, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. Very Hang on. nice. Hang on. Did you like my big paws? <laughs> anyway, what's going on with the lions? Ah, uh, well, you know the ones that, uh, you know Cecil, right? Everyone got very upset about Cecil the lion. Oh, the, yes. He was, he was a very, very charismatic and quite scientifically um, useful lion because he's being monitored in um, Zimbabwe. And then a horrible, great big hunter chap from America paid lots of money to go out there and shoot him. And we talked to Chris Packham about this, kind of, didn't we? This yeah. whole concept, paying lots of money to shoot, to, to shoot things. Yeah, because, you know, obviously... There is the the whole thing about how poachers who you don't have permission to to kill these animals um, kill an awful lot of them, uh, and no one gets any sort of economic benefit from that apart from them, I suppose. Um, whereas hunters claim that you know by spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, um, that is helping to fund conservation, even if they're they're taking the lives of animals in the process. So it's an interesting one. Go and check out our interview with Chris Packham because he's got much more coherent thoughts about it than we ever will. Um, but one of the things that can be done to to stop this is saying that you can't bring your lions or your, your heads of your lions back into the country once you've knocked them off. And that is what France have done, isn't it, Dave? 
Yeah, so it's all it's Bridget Bardot was done it. So she's been uh, oh, com- complaining to the French uh, government for a while, saying stop it, stop allowing people to have these horrible things here. And the French environment minister said uh, last week, yeah, all right, fair dues, Trey Bon, you're right, we won't allow that anymore. And it is now um, banned. I think pretty much like straight away, and that is. Good, I think, for a couple of reasons. Good because it's horrible and you shouldn't be allowing it. And good because it might convince some other countries that it is also horrible and you shouldn't be allowing it. Countries like the UK. Mm. What have they said? Nothing. Nothing. Well, actually, more specifically, what they've said is, yeah, we're not banning that. Uh, you can still you can still bring your uh, bring your deadlines into the country if you like. Or uh, you know, slightly does be slightly fairer. What, you, what the Rory Stewart, who was asked this, the minister, a couple of months ago, said, uh, "I need to have a think about that, but I'm not convinced it's going to work." Right, and the reason that he said it's not going to work, and this is right back. Do go and listen to the Chris Packham interview, but it's right back to this idea of: Do you need to allow some rich people to go and shoot a lion in the face and pay an astronomical <laughs> amount of money for it? in order that that money can then be used to keep the other lions or, you know, pangolins or rhinos or ugly fish or whatever safe. And it is not, you know, Chris Packham said that's a ridiculous argument. I agree with Chris Packham. However, it is a thing that happens and that some people claim is, uh, you know, the only way to preserve a habitat for some nice animals is by allowing some of them to be shot in the face. That's about it from us. Thank you very much, Dave, for, for your wonderfulness as ever. Thank you so much to Dickie Moore off of Bearcraft because his music is lovely and it is the beginning and the end and the intertwinkling on this show. Thank you, as always, to the wonderful Arabella for helping us pick through the egregious eco-guff by reading out the worst bits. Thank you, Arabella. You can, and listen very carefully, I will say this only once, you can get in touch with us via Twitter at The Babble Wagon. Drop us an email to hello at sustainababble.fish or find us on Facebook at Sustainababble. Do let us know what you think of the show. Give us a rating if you like us, however you download your podcasts. And in particular, let us know anything coming out of the Paris talks that you simply don't understand and we should attempt to help you not understand it a little bit not better (laughs) very good all right Dave I will see you next week au revoir mon chéri this this podcast is going to be a roaring success ah jesting (laughs) 